Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's November 4th, 2016. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Hey, where in the world is Scott Long today? <laughs> Mississippi, my friend. Mississippi. <laughs> are you in the fun part of Mississippi? Uh, I think all Mississippi's fun, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. But it's especially, let's say, well, it's especially fun because you're with the Ania Poker Tour. Well, that's true, yes. Yes, the Ania Poker Tour makes everything more fun. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was in Atlanta for the weekend, uh, watched my Packers, um, oh, I'm lose. But, um, <laughs> and then, uh, headed out here to a beautiful Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi for our Ania Poker Tour, uh, series. It's our second year here, and, um... There's obviously still time for you to come out and uh, hang out with me. Our main event flights run Friday and Saturday. And call the poker room at 601-663-1040 for a great discount room rates. And the winner of that $800 main event appears on the cover of Ante Up. And uh, I got to say, I'm always happy when we go back to a property, uh, Chris, and they've upped their game. Yeah. Yep, Absolutely. Because it's so easy just to take what you did last year and copy it again and then, uh, you know, go with that. Um, but uh, Pearl River really, last year was the first big series they've ever done at this property. And folks probably remember me telling them that uh, they put $70 million into this property to, to redo it and look gorgeous. Um, and they wanted the poker tour to get them uh, on the map last year, which we did. Um, so now they're trying to grow uh, the poker business here um, and become a, a go-to spot for tournament poker in Mississippi, which is a great state for tournament poker. Um, so um, last year they put the tournament in this um, an area that they were going to make it into a nightclub. They hadn't yet, and it was great because it's it's walled off by glass walls, so you can see the casino, but you don't get the casino sound or the um, smoke, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it was just a real nice, uh, intimate uh, tournament area. So this year it's in the same spot, but since I was here last year, they actually went ahead and made it into kind of like this weekend sports club, I would say. I don't want to call it a nightclub, and it's not a sports bar. It's like sports club. <laughs> all right. And um, so they got the gorgeous bar area with all kinds of beer on tap. Um, they have a table-side food service in there now. So on the weekends, and they have a bunch of TVs, of course, like 12 uh, 12 or 13 TVs, real big ones. So every game is going to be on. Uh, it was on last weekend and will be on this weekend as well, too. Obviously, it's not going to be a bar, uh, sports club, sorry, <laughs> this weekend because we got a tournament going on. But it's really a fantastic place to play poker. Um, and the same crew that, that um, runs a lot of events around the country, um, led by Paul Dooch, is here again and uh, running these events. So, you know, it's being well run. 
Um, and they tweaked the schedule a bit and did some different stuff with it. So um, they've upped the game on that too. So and one of the big things is um, as soon as we get done with the recording the show here a day earlier than the actual day that we always say it's going to be, um, we're going to be headed down there for the Monster Stack Tournament. Um, and I've had a lot of folks uh, email me saying that they're coming in for the Monster Stack today because that's a good value tournament. And then obviously they're going to stick around um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the main event. So uh, places probably going to be buzzing the rest of this week. So it's been very exciting. Um, and then of course, um, always fun to see um, familiar faces. Had a couple of them come up already. Had a couple of our listeners that were here for the weekend when I wasn't here, and I missed them. So hopefully they all see them back here for the main event. Um, and then when I first got here, one of the uh, tournament staff members was like, Hey, Scott, there's somebody here from the cruises that wants to, to see you, but they don't want me to tell you that she's here. So just act surprised when you see her, even though I'm not telling you who she is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, that narrows it down because we only had like 5 million women on our Annie of Cruises over the years, right? But, yeah. Um, and then uh, I was walking through the, the poker room early in the morning, like yesterday, um, carrying my uh, watermelon breakfast since I'm on a diet now and I can't enjoy the southern food here. <laughs> and um, I looked over and I'm like, oh my gosh. Or, let me southern. I should say good gravy. Right? <laughs> that looks like Linda Garrett. And so, um, folks that that been on our cruises um, several years ago probably remember Linda. Always the life of the party on our cruises. She brought a big group of folks uh, from Mississippi. Uh, just the sweetest lady ever. A lot of fun. And um, we got on a bunch of cruises. And then she just kind of fell off the the map. Right? Yeah. You know, we, we couldn't get a hold of her by email or phone. She wasn't coming on the cruises anymore. You know, a lot of friends that came on the cruises were like, hey, have you heard from her? I'm like, I haven't yet. Let me know if you have. Um, so we, I literally thought the worst, right? And nope, turns out uh, she's been fine and was looking forward to seeing me. And so I chatted with her and her husband. And uh, they've been here since Wednesday last week. They come here all the time. And uh, she's already satellited in the main event. And uh, they're looking forward to coming back on cruises next spring. So. Man. You never know what you're going to find when you come here to Mississippi. Awesome. That's awesome. I know, because I, I thought we were done. I thought we would, she just, I don't know, she just stopped playing poker or something. We hadn't heard from her. And I thought, oh, and then when you brought that name, I was like, holy cow, Linda. So, excellent. That's the beauty of having events around the country, man. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, remember, um, if you're anywhere in the neighborhood and want to come up, it's uh, antiupmagazine.com slash Pearl River. So, how weird was it this week to have the World Series and when you say that, you don't really know what you mean. Because this is the first time this has ever happened. Because we had the November 9. Right. Right, but the November 9 was always in November. It was never in October. And then the actual World Series in baseball was running. So two World Series going on at the exact same time. Really kind of some bizarre stuff there. Yeah, and it, it's really funny um, because obviously I'm here for a poker tournament, right? And yeah. I, own a poker magazine and so you would think anytime someone said world series to me my first inclination would be las vegas right yeah so i was sitting in the tournament area yesterday and uh, one of the uh tournament directors came over and sat down and he's like wow what do you think about that world series and i'm like i know game seven tonight it's gonna be crazy i'm like i was at the bowling alley last night watching it and then he's like, man, those two guys were just playing terrible poker for <laughs> an hour. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're talking about the World Series of Poker. I'm talking about Cubs and Indians. Um, and, yeah, it's just kind of funny that uh, they both kind of, like, came together on the on the same week. Yeah, uh, yeah. Same thing, uh, 
Same thing at the, my league night the other night in bowling. The guy's like comes up to me because he knows I own the magazine, and he's like, "So, what do you think of the World Series?" I'm like, "Wow, the Cubs might do it." And he's like, "What?" I'm talking about the, the World Series poker. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that too. Oh, I, you know, it was just funny. I was like, I wasn't up till 3 in the morning, though. And so I started talking about it. But, yeah, it's so funny. You get so ingrained into what our business is. You know, you think poker all the time, but you don't think of them overlapping. And it's yeah, just, it it's, yeah, it's never happened before. It was pretty bizarre. Right. And even more interesting is the World Series of Poker was on ESPN. <laughs> I know. One of the biggest sporting events uh, of the year is on Fox at the same time the preeminent sports network in the world is showing poker. Poker, so how yeah. How and interesting is that? Yeah, really bizarre. Oh, uh, anyhow, uh, congratulations to our new champion, uh, Tommy Gunn, win. Um, and um, and it's got actually really special for a couple of reasons, um, uh, particularly for Annie up here because two of our our great partners um, are advanced poker training. And Blue Shark Optics, and both of them had worked out deals with Win before this. Um, so uh, both of those brands, again, those are both real small companies that started here in Florida, just like us. Somehow we didn't figure out a way to get a patch on this guy, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's always great when when uh, when I know our friends um, in the business that uh, started uh, as humbly as we did, um, you know, take a chance on one one out of nine guys and their guy comes through. So it's very exciting talking to um, to both of them um, and how excited they are uh, for win. Uh, win to win. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other thing too is I, I think back when we talked about. You know, when it got down to November 9, uh, back in July, right, we were talking about who we wanted to win. And I, I, I think we were correct. Uh, I'm correct on the saying this, that we were both kind of, at that point, uh, uh, rooting for Cliff, right? Because we wanted to see the older guy finally win. Yeah, it was just interesting. That, I mean, he was really the, the premier name at that ta- table, too. I mean, the other guys have had success and stuff, but not huge success, or we didn't really know who they were. But, yeah, he was the guy we knew. Well, John, yeah, Johnny I, Bax, you know, Johnny Bax, you call him. Yeah, and I was just, you know, again, I'm I'm the get-off-the-lawn kids kind of guy now, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I just, to me, it was be really interesting to see a, a person older than me win the World Series win for the last 78 years, it seems like, uh, you had to be 23 years old. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, so, obviously, he came in third, so we didn't get that, but uh, Tommy Gunn is 39. I think that's close enough. It's close enough. It's closer to my age than all the other world champions for the last couple of years, right? Yeah, correct. That is true. So, I'll, I'll claim it as a victory for me as well. <laughs> you know, just to, I don't want to go too far back into the show here, but I had to say earlier when you were talking about you're on a diet, I thought you said you couldn't eat solid food, not, <laughs> not southern food. So then you're talking about you're an old guy now saying, get up my lawn. I'm like, what do you got, like dentures that you're pulling out and eating the watermelon? What the hell is going on here? Second metamucil here, buddy. <laughs> Uh, so did you get to catch any of the World Series, uh, the, the Poker World Series? Because I, I did watch some of it, but it got too late for me. I'm old, too. I'm taking my dentures out and going to sleep. Yeah, so here's the problem is obviously um, I'm here um, working um, at, at the the event here. Um, and interestingly enough, I don't think we had it on the TVs in the, um, in the tournament area. So um, I didn't get to see very much of it. But after the World Series baseball game... Um, Tuesday night, um, I came home and turned on ESPN and watched uh, a couple hours of the Heads Up, and uh, I, I was hoping to kind of watch it until conclusion. And boy, am I glad I didn't make that decision! <laughs> yeah, 
not not that I wouldn't have enjoyed watching the, these two guys play, um, but uh, it literally ended. 20 minutes before I woke up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I'm like, and, and I, when I was watching it, I, I actually put a timer on the television like to go off like in 90 minutes at like 2.30 I put it on. I'm thinking maybe I'll hear the celebration and it'll wake me up and I can at least look and see who won. Not a chance. That thing didn't end until, you know, I was waking up in the morning to go, you know, have breakfast and go for a walk. So, oh, pretty amazing stuff. It, I just, I don't know how these guys do it. I don't know how they can play that long and that deep into the night. And I know that most poker players play nights anyway, but it's just such a grueling test. And it's a testament to somebody 39, you yeah, know, to be able to do that. Three three twenty nine in the morning local time. Out yeah, there. yeah, 6.20 a.m. On the, on the East Coast. It's just you crazy. You know, I, I, I'm never up until 3.30 a.m. for any reason. Uh, in my life, if I'm up at 3:30 a.m., it's because I set my alarm to get up to go to the airport. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> so the fact that I would need to be uh, awake that long is just shocking to me. But also having all my concentration and faculties going nonstop from whenever they started the day before until that point, it's just truly impressive. So, with with the stress of the world championship on your head and the $8 million prize pool, uh, prize payoff, I mean, and yeah, it just it's just remarkable to be able to, to play your best at that at that moment. It's crazy, crazy. I mean, I know there's that adrenaline thing that gets you going, too. Like, when we were playing all night in Vegas, that time went straight, straight through. Yeah, exactly. You know, right. you, you don't you even realize it, but... Keeps you going, right, right. Still, it's not um, easy. The other interesting thing about getting back and watching it in the hotel room um, and trying to watch it to the end is that, you know, when I woke up in the morning, obviously I fell asleep, I couldn't do it. I woke up and I'm like, wait a minute, it might still be going on. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I was going to turn the TV on, but I checked my phone first and I got the, uh, the email from the World Series that it was over. And I'm like, oh, man, I just missed it. So that would have actually been uh, – that's like – you could tell I'm, uh, I have gray hair, right? When yeah. I go to bed watching a poker tournament and get excited that it might still be on in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to wonder, too, if ESPN is getting a little concerned with that stuff. Because, you know, I would imagine that it's been stretched over three days to try to avoid this situation, and yet it's still becoming a situation at 6.20 in the morning. There's poker on television still on ESPN. You know, eventually it's going to start going into, like, their morning sports center time when they're supposed to be showing sports center or events yeah, and stuff. See, that's probably the only thing they're really concerned about. I, I would think in general, I mean, having a live event of any kind on ESPN from on the East Coast from midnight to 6 a.m. is a coup, right? Yeah. Normally, it's just Sports Center reruns all night, right? Or So at least now you have a live event. Now, it's not an event that's going to attract a ton of people. It's going to attract a certain group of people. Um, it's certainly also going to get uh, people that aren't really into poker that are insomniacs flipping channels, right? Right. Get them to stop and watch rather than, you know, they're not going to watch that dunk that they've seen a hundred times already <laughs> on the other thing. So uh, I, I think at that point, I think ESPN's probably happy. But you're right. I mean, if this stuff could go on forever and now in the morning, if you're not a poker player, but you're a sports junkie and you want to start your morning with that sports center at whatever time it comes on, I don't even know what time it comes on. And you turn it on, and here's two guys, you know, folding every hand poker. <laughs> You're going to be upset, and um, that's going to be tough right. for ESPN. But, but that's always been the problem with, um, with with poker on TV. You know, it's it's not a it, it's not a predictable game, um, so you, you can't predict this kind of stuff. It's not like you know a football game where you know it's going to be about four hours unless it happens to go into overtime or something like that. Uh, and that makes it very difficult, particularly on a big network like ESPN, um, 
to, to predict that. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe they have a contingency where they kick it over to ESPN2 or ESPN The Ocho or something. <laughs> exactly. Which they, they would have done because they've done that with other things before. Um, they've done that before. They kick it over to ESPN2 or whatever. So that it's just it's just interesting. I think that's probably why they've gone over three days hoping to avoid something like that, and it's still threatening it. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, we can't forget that uh, Gordon Vallo, uh, the 27-year-old from San Fran, actually originally from my neck of the woods, New London, Connecticut, yeah. Um, he finished second for four point six million. He's the guy that we talked about before about how we were saying November Niners have this remarkable uh, ability to, you know, cash in big events after they've made it into the November Nine. And he's the one that won the uh, the River Poker Series main event at Windstar. Um, so he's had an incredible run uh, lately, and uh, he was he was uh, he was every much as good as everyone else at that table. He could have easily taken it down. It just didn't go his way. Yeah, a couple more things uh, I want to say, too. One, um, our good friend Lee Childs, his uh, tweet or Facebook, it's on Facebook, I'm not on Twitter, but it, it, he probably posted it on Facebook, but he had a funny one where he said, hey, I want the uh, World Series of Poker to look into um, the fact that this might be rigged now. We've had champions named Moneymaker, Gold, and Win now. <laughs> it's fixed. <laughs> Hashtag rigged. Um well, the other thing is, obviously, um, I didn't get to see anywhere near as much as this as I would have liked. But by all accounts, um, uh, Tommy Gunn here was the least accomplished player there, right? He yeah. had one World Series cash before, and it was a 54th, I think, in yeah. a 1500-hour event. Um, so, uh, so obviously, he probably was uh, not an odds-on favorite <laughs> at any point until he, he built up his chip stack. Um but it sounds like he played so erratically um, that it really put it really confused everybody else, right? So I, I think it's almost it's very Jerry Yang like. I think that you know when you get I think when you get yourself at that table and you're surrounded by eight accomplished players and you are the fish, right? Um, your best chance of succeeding is to play very erratically and because those other players can't put you on a hand and if they can't put you on a hand they're going to be very concerned about committing a lot of chips um when you could have a monster or you could have nothing um so i I saw a lot of criticism of him for this kind of play um but it obviously worked because he has eight million dollars to his name now right um and I actually think it was a very good strategy for him. I don't know if that was his strategy going in, but um I think it was a very good strategy. Yeah, the other thing too is it goes back to the adage of you want to play big pots with people who may be more experienced than you. Uh if you find yourself in a situation where you're definitely being outplayed but you're forced to play with them cuz in a tournament, on the whole better players or professional players are conservative poker players for the most part when it comes to their chips in tournaments. Not saying that they're not aggressive. They're, they can be aggressive all they want. But when it comes to their tournament life, they're going to be on the side of caution because they don't really understand how you're playing or they or they can't put you on their style of playing or whatever it is. So that's something that he did. He was very aggressive, and he was always playing pots. He was, he was in pretty much every – you know, just seemed like he was in every flop or every hand, and, and that's how you put the pressure on them because they're like, hey, this guy's playing every hand. How am I going to put him on anything? So he's sort of being a maniac – at the same time, you know, and these guys just don't want to see their tournament life. Once you got the chip lead, I mean, that was it. You know, they they know that every move they make could end their career, their their tournament run or whatever. So, yeah, absolutely. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant. It worked out to to his best interest, obviously. 
Excellent. Um, all right. Well, we have an election coming up um, in a couple days, and thankfully it'll be over. It's been a long <laughs> election yeah. season yeah. uh, for everyone. Um, and uh, we're not a political show, but uh, our Andy Up uh, fan, Michael uh, Pumpkins, uh, terrific name, by yeah. the way. Yeah, great one. November, um, alerted us uh, to a businessinsider.com article where Andy Up friend Joe Navarro, remember him? Yeah. Uh, he weighed in on the presidential election um, using the skills he honed as an FBI agent. So obviously we're not going to chat about this but um, and ruin the surprise. But if you're interested in uh, what the preeminent expert in poker tells has to say about the presidential election, um, check out businessinsider.com. And uh, Chris obviously will put the link to the actual article um, on the recap on pokerradius.com. Yep. And uh, any updates? We all have our favorite poker room. And now we want to hear about yours. Go to Facebook or Twitter and tell us your favorite poker room and why by using hashtag MyPokerRoom. Also, Harris Southern California and Pachanga Resort and Casino in California, Seneca Niagara Casino and Resort in New York, and Georgetown Poker in Ontario are the latest poker venues to join our Restock the Shells Charity Food Bank Initiative with Blue Shark Optics on January 16th. For more information, visit com slash restock. Yeah, we got some more rooms that are um, still trying to work out some logistics, and uh, so we can't really announce them quite yet. But very, very excited about how many uh, places are coming on board this year. Yeah, and it's only early November, so. Yep, absolutely. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. It comes from Tyrone Keel. Because I was in an online uh, Pot Limit Omaha tournament recently, and the river was the glorious ace of spades, giving me my second-ever royal flush. Yay me! Unfortunately, I wasn't so lucky for the rest of the tournament and busted out on the bubble. I mentioned my lucky hand at my usual Sunday night hold'em free roll, and I was immediately let down as I was informed that the royal flush didn't really count since I was playing online and Omaha, and that would seem to make it easier to hit. I know the table's comments were in fun, but it got me thinking. I don't know the odds of hitting a Royal Flush live versus online or while playing Hold'em versus any other game, but it seems to me that a Royal Flush is legitimate no matter which game you are playing. What side do you guys fall on? All right, let's talk about uh, the odds of hitting it online first because um, unless you're a conspiracy theorist, uh, the odds of hitting a Royal Flush online or live are exactly the same, right? Exactly the same. Because everything else is the same. You just see more of them because you play a lot more hands online, right? Correct. This is always the problem that we had back in the days when we could play online here in, in the States. Um, so uh, I, I dis, uh, dismiss uh, your uh, haters' comments on that one. Now, obviously, Omaha, um, clearly it's easier to get a Royal Flush in Omaha because you got two more cards in your hand, right? Yep. So uh, to that extent, yeah, all right, I'll give them a half check mark. Uh, for calming you down on that. But a royal flush is a royal flush, right? It's yeah. still a royal flush. <laughs> doesn't make it illegitimate. Right, exactly. So, you know, hey, uh, Tyrone, no, don't let these haters get you down. You get a royal flush, you get to celebrate it, and you should celebrate it. Uh, now, what I wouldn't say is if you've never had a royal flush anywhere else and you got it in Omaha, uh, be careful about how much you brag about that, right? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, hey, I got a hole-in-one at the putt-putt course. It's not quite the same as uh, Pebble Beach, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just be careful about that. It's still a hole-in-one. It's still a royal flush. 
but just be careful on how much you get to uh, brag about it. Yeah, I mean, think about it. The Royal Flush and Stud or the Royal Flush and Five Card Draw. You know what I mean? We're talking. This is difficult territory here. So Omaha, you got Omaha, you got four cards, and then five cards. You got nine cards to make it. So yeah, it's clearly an easier way to get it, but it still doesn't make it any less legit. That's just the way it goes. But uh, yeah, they're just busting your chops. <laughs> Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. Email us at podcast at magazine dot com, and we'll have Hollywood's Casino Toledo director of poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at 911.net. comes from Bob Kraft. Uh, he says, I was in Las Vegas while the Deaf Nation World Expo was there. The poker games included several deaf-mute players who used sign language exclusively. There was nothing that indicated they were doing anything but having a great time, but their communication was indecipherable to me. Yeah, this isn't obviously a traditional call the floor, but um, I'm sure other players have run into this. Um, so that was important to let Elliot kind of explain it from a poker operator standpoint, right? Yeah. All right, so this is what Elliot says. He says, uh, this is a familiar one. Uh, during my stint at the Palms in Las Vegas, we proudly hosted on an annual basis what was billed as the World Championship Poker for the Deaf and Hearing Impaired. We got to hold this event because of the hard work and big heart of my friend, mentor, and boss at that time, Palms Poker Room Manager Gene Trimble. Tournament entry was limited to the hard of hearing, but eliminated players inevitably migrated to cash games in our poker room. We took a no-harm, no-foul approach to these and any other players that needed special accommodation. We didn't force the English-only while hand is in progress rule, and our dealers, um, which he said we had a pretty strong team there, by the way, were good about enforcing the rules and protecting all the players in a fair and friendly way. The deaf player was in a pot with a hearing player, and another deaf player tried to sign the active deaf player. We would put a halt to it as a violation of the one player to a hand rule. Accordingly, if two deaf players found themselves heads up in a pot and wanted to gauge each other, quote-unquote, verbally, in the same way that many other players do, we neither encouraged nor discouraged that. As far as the action was concerned, the dealers had to be ready to indicate the action and the actors in a nonverbal way, for example, thumbs up for raise, uh, the Vanna hand pointing to a new bet, etc. We also tried to seat the hearing impaired directly in front of the dealers so that these cues would be easier to see and so that the dealers would not have to constantly turn away from the game to communicate every single action. Yeah, it, you're just doing what's best for everyone involved, it seems like there. That makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. We don't want to be. We want to. We, we don't want poker to be a game that's exclusionary, right? Right. right. So, so you know, you can't play anymore at some point whenever something happens to you. So, we want to find a way to uh, grow the game and make sure people feel welcome in it. Uh, but they're also they're, you do have to protect the integrity of the game. So, you know what? I, what I told Bob in the email, and obviously, I appreciate the fact that he said that he didn't. Uh, he wasn't accusing anything of going on there. He just thought it was interesting that um, American Sign Language is an, another language, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, and he was just concerned about it. And so it, it's good that there are folks out there like Elliot that um, are looking for ways to bring those players in and at the same time protect the players and the integrity of the game. So, Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Because then the other stuff, too, happens um – I remember when I was at the Mirage years ago, and I was playing with that the famous guy who was blind. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he had his friend with him behind him, and it's like, you're not going to stop the guy from playing poker because he can't see the cards. You're not going to stop deaf people from playing poker because they, they can't hear. So there are certain ways to communicate. You just got to make sure you communicate them in the 
in the, in the right fashion, and that's, that's perfectly fine. The Vanna hand-pointing thing, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Uh, well, like Vanna White? Like pointing at the cards? I'm sure it's Vanna White, so yeah. like, more like a wave? Or, oh, or, I guess. I don't know what that means. Or is it pointing <laughs> to the, the, the vowel that she's turning over? I, I know. I don't really know what that means. Hand-pointing to a new bet. I get the hand pointing, but I don't know why the Vanna part. Hmm. I guess maybe they're just like indicating where the the but the but that there's a new bet out there or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> okay. Now hey. I'm that, that that song, the Vanna turned me a letter. Is <laughs> <laughs> that a Weird Al song? Or something? I don't know what the hell. Oh man, it's too early in the morning for that conversation. A <laughs> uh, new uh, episode of O'Malley uh, is about to uh, debut here. Here it comes. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing a friendly 50-cent, $1, No Limit Hold'em home game. This is our regular home game, so we're pretty familiar with all of the players involved. The game is seven-handed. We have the biggest stack at the table with 150, up about $50. The blinds posed, under the gun folds, plus one calls, MP folds, and we're in the cutoff with the nine of clubs, nine of spades. This is a decent hand, but not one I want to go crazy with. We just make the call. The button calls, small blind calls, big blind checks, and we go to a flop. With $5 in the pot, the flop is the king of spades, king of hearts, ten of diamonds. Not really what we were looking for, but we are intrigued when it is checked to us. We're going to make a bet here for two reasons. One, we may very well have the best hand, and if not, we might be able to get a ten to fold here. And two, we would like to push the button out and have position the rest of the way. We make a pot-sized bet. The button folds, the small blind folds, but the big blind and plus one both call. There's $20 in the pot, and the turn is the king of diamonds. Hmm, intriguing. What's even more intriguing is both players check to us. So, are we firing away? What's the move? It's time for Hand of the Weeks and your hands are situations to podcast at com And uh, fast track this one uh, from our listener, Jason Grimes, uh, because this was a hand uh, here at Pearl River this week. Yay! Yeah, he came down um, for the uh, the tournament and um, uh, fortunately did not go very well <laughs> for him. No. But then he uh, he went to the cash games, and um, so you know, hey, helping to promote the uh, the Pearl River Poker Open here. So, um, let's see. Uh, he says uh, after playing in the uh, final fight of the Antioch Poker Tour event one at Pearl River, a hundred thousand guarantee, by the way, yep. uh, for all of an hour, including a fairly pathetic Ace King offsuit hand, I found myself looking for the door and something else to do. Although it was a reentry event. I'd already played in day one C with similar results. I figured I was done with this particular tournament, and so I turned my eye to cash games and settled in at a particular one-three table. Okay. With a single buy-in of three hundred dollars, I had played for several hours and had chipped up to right around four fifty. If I hadn't run my pocket queens to pocket aces twice already, I would have had a much more substantial stack. Not only was I catching cards, the table was somewhat passive. Uh, there were many hands that saw a flop six or even seven-handed. Either everyone limping in, uh, or after a couple of limpers, one person would raise a 10, causing a cascade of calls and bloated pots. Actually, sounds like another band name. This guy's like a writer here. It's not, yeah. uh, not, not just a poker player. 
He's given Paul, or our friend from South Africa, a run for the uh, yeah. fan writers. Uh, <laughs> uh, most of those hands could be won by a decent post-flop bet, he says. Anyways, there were a few players at the table that were a little less passive, and this hand involved one of them. We each had similar stacks. I had them uh, outship probably by 50 or $60. The button was in the 8th seat, I was in the 1 seat, and the villain was in the 4 seat. Uh, I, there's been one lipper, and we look down at the jack of spades, nine of spades. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, uh, if it's a limper, and I can tell that it might be passive, like he was mentioning or whatever, uh, I probably might just limp along. I I know you're a very big fan of if you're the, if you're gonna come into a hand, you might as well come in raising. But somebody's already limped. You know, someone else might set the price at like eight or something, and then I could just call, and they still have no idea what I have. So if I'm going to play the hand, I'm looking to hit it pretty big. Like if the ten of spades comes on the flop, you know, I'd be very happy, and I might continue with it. Or if Jack Nine comes on the flop, something like that. Um, or but I, yeah, you know, I mean, some bizarre <laughs> flop, obviously. But you know, we're not talking about you know, we're talking a minute ago about how rare a royal, royal flush is, and you're asking for three jacks to flop, but. <laughs> But still, I'm just saying, I, I don't want to risk any money on here if I don't have to. I'm basically, I'm just folding this hand if I'm in early or mid. Um, and if I do play it, I'm not going to... If I take it for a raise and somebody re-raises, I'm wasting money. So, you know, I want to be in position playing cards like this. If I'm not, then I'm going to try to get in for as cheap as possible if I'm going to play it. Yeah, you're right. I, I would normally uh, want to raise with this hand to uh, for a little misdirection. Um, but I think you have to adjust to the table, right? So right. the fact that it sounds like... It's a limp fest going on here, right? Right. And even a raise to ten doesn't get anybody out. It gets just gets a really giant pot. Um, I'm either going to fold because this hand is dangerous, right? And I don't want to. If it does get, you know, too big, I don't want to be in it. Or the other line of thinking is that if I can see a flop for two bucks, or what's this one three game, uh, three bucks. Uh, between three and ten, with a lot of players and a lot of money in there, this is a hand that can flop pretty big, and it's also a hand that's super easy to get away from if it doesn't, right? Yep. So I think um, with this kind of table, um, I'm inclined to play more of these hands um, because these are stacking hands that um, that I can get in pretty cheaply and get away from pretty easily. So I'm probably going to limp along here. Hey, we are going to do the same thing? Well, if, just for this part of the hand, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. All right, our hero says, uh, figuring that this will be another $18 six or seven way hand, I come along because my hand will hit hard and be good against multiple opponents or I'll swing and miss and be gone quickly. All right, hey. Yeah. Uh, he says, but the guy in C4 raises to $15. By the time he gets back to me, there have been two other callers, and now it's on us. See, I mean, there's, there's a lot of callers now, so you might want to take a flyer. It's just uh, now, I'm, now I'm putting 15 bucks in with Jack Nine out of position. You know yeah, what I mean? This has changed a little bit now. I mean i I was looking for I was looking forward to seven opponents at three bucks, right? Yeah. Or maybe five opponents at ten bucks, but now we're looking at with us it'd be four at fifteen. Um. So now I'm a little less excited about this hand. I, I think at this point I'm probably going to let this go and, you know, hey, consider that $3 an investment that could have paid off well and just didn't. I agree. So we're going to fold. 
Yeah. See, we did we did the same thing all the way through the hand, Scott. You and I identically did the same thing. We both called, then folded. So there you go. How you feeling? Yeah, well, here's the problem now is now we're going to have to do the rest of this hand with like, well, I would not have been to this point. I know. So that's good. Now we're, we're safe. No matter what we say now, hey, can't hold us accountable. Oh, uh, all right. Well, here obviously decides to call to make this hand interesting. Oh, and now so there's four of us to flop with about 60 bucks in the pot. That flop is the eight of clubs, nine of clubs, tray of spades, and it's checked to us. Oh, see, here's the deal. Somebody raised behind us. Right. So, I mean, it, let me ask you, would you raise with tens? Would you raise with jacks? Would you raise with queens, kings, and aces behind you? Yes. Would you raise with eight, nine? If you're in position, you see a bunch of limpers, maybe you would. Who knows? But I see a lot of pain in the future of this hand. I I normally, if I was one who took control of the hand and I hit that nine, I'd be betting out. If I was in position, they checked to me. But I just don't know. I, I think I might not believe the guy who raised, and maybe he has ace-king, so we'll check to him and let him bet out. Then we call him, and then you check to him again, or you maybe you bet into him. I don't know. Some people would bet out here just to dog bet thing to throw him off and say, I don't believe you have anything, so I'm going to test you right now, that kind of stuff. But I don't know this table well enough. I've only you know, been dealing with it for the last two and a half minutes. So to me, I feel like I can't bet here. I, I, even if... Even if you know, if I have the best pair, I could have the worst kicker. Somebody could easily have, you know, ace-nine suited. So, I don't know. I just feel like I'm going to check. I, I know it sounds wussy, and maybe I shouldn't do that, but I'm going to check. Well, I'm really concerned about the future of our business here because... Oh, no. Never agreed this much in an hour <laughs> Eight and a half years. <laughs> quick, i got to come up with something I want to do with the magazine real quick because I know you're going to agree with me. What do I want to do? Uh, yeah, here's the thing is that we – if you go back to even what our heroes said is that this is a hand where I could hit big or if I swing and miss, I can go. Now, we didn't swing and miss, all right? We got a solid single here, right? Right. Um, But there is a lot of danger on this flop, right? I think There's so. Two clubs there. We don't have any clubs. There's one spade, so we have to really work hard to get our spades. And then even our spades aren't guaranteed to be good, right? Right. I as a jack. We have top pair, but we got a pretty weak kicker. Um, so, and then straight, we got one more card to our straight, but one of the other cards for our straight we already had, right? Right. So, I, I don't really know where we're going with this hand, where I would feel confident now. I mean, a jack is not going to make me feel confident, because that, I mean... Complete straights for others who right. came it's along. Kind of weird straights, so it's probably not that big a deal, but I'm still not excited about it. Um... So really, at this point, the only thing that makes me a little happier would be another nine. And there are only two of those left. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your runner-runner spades are available, but that's still not giving us the nuts of anything either. So Exactly, right? So, um, and if we bet here, we run the real risk of being raised, because this is a flop that I don't think the person that raised is too concerned about, right? Right. So we're probably going to get raised, and now we're in a spot where we're just throwing more money into this pot and probably going to get raised, and I don't want to do that. Um, I don't really think we can take control of this hand by betting unless we bet a lot. Um, so I think I'm inclined to check check fold here, um, or if something weird happens after we check, and then you know it's $5 bet and everybody calls, and you know, sure, all right, but 
Um, I, I think I'm done with his hand, um, unless I can see a turn card for free or cheap. Yeah, if somebody, if the guy, the preflop raiser makes it what they normally do, which is like 35, 40, I'm not betting $40 on a pair of nines with the guy raising behind me and a terrible kicker. So, you know, if, if, it, if it goes the immediate person to my left bets something nominal, like 15 again, and everyone folds to me, I might consider taking a flyer on that just because it's 75 in the middle for 15. Yeah, and heads up. Right, and your yeah. head's up. But if it's something like check, check, bet 50, check to me, I'm like, uh, yeah, see ya. Right, right. It's just not worth it. Um, all right. Uh, so as I said, it was checked to us, and our hero says, even though my pair has no kicker, it's still top pair. I want to dissuade any draws out there after I called $15 preflop with suited connectors. So someone else might have the same idea. And also, I picked up several pots with decent flop bets. Uh, I lead out for 30 Ooh, we bet. Wow. Now, if you go back to, I mean, he did say this earlier in the hand, that most of these hands could be won by a decent post-flop bet so if that's the case i mean this is a opportunity where we do have something here right like yeah it's taking a stab at a pot and hoping that we win we do have top pair um so if that's been effective tonight i, I think i can defend that uh, i'm just more worried about the, the guy raising behind us i don't know whether these previous hands that he's talking about that were won by a decent post-flop bet were won by a the, the aggressor in the hand or one by just whoever had the the balls to bet, right? Yeah. And we are clearly the latter on this one, um, and I'm worried about the former. So the other thing, too, is I'm not really particularly um, uh, informant on if the person who raised preflop was really aggressive because then the other people who limped who checked him now could be hoping to check raise you know what i'm saying with with uh, a set or a two pair you know some weird hand like pocket eights or pocket threes or so so yeah you've got all this other stuff swirling around you too with this hand it's just i agree with you i think we're just going to check it and hope you know get it get to the turn for free and hit a nine or something you know or whatever um all right uh the original caller makes the call as does the button so we don't get raised, and we lose one player, and we are three-handed with 150 in the pot, and go to the turn, and our hero says, I've now effectively bloated the pot with a middling pair no kicker. Good job, Jason. <laughs> At least we're honest with ourselves, right? And you said the razor was one of the callers, right? Yes. Okay, okay. The turn is the deuce of spades, so our board now is eight of clubs, nine of clubs, tray of spades, deuce of spades, and we are first to act this time. Yeah, well, now we're happy. Because we've got the spades a backup in case something bizarre happens. Um, but again, as in all, you know, you want to be in position, and now you're faced with: Do you bet? And if you bet, are you going to get raised? Because the guy was like, "Oh, really? You want to you want to raise my set of eights or my aces? You know, or bet my aces, whatever." So I don't know. Um, I, now that I've got a draw too, though, I mean, I don't mind betting again. It's just. And now look how much we're getting involved in this hand. You know, you're going to bet 70 now. You know, now you've bet $115 on a pair of nines with Jack Nine. You know what I mean? I know you got the backup flush draw here. It's not even the nuts. Yeah, I'm going to say this Deuce of Spades to me is a mirage. 
it's that thing where you've been walking through the desert forever and you see the water and you get so excited that it's water you don't realize it's sewage <laughs> exactly um i and i think this is the problem i think is now we're like oh hey now we picked up a spade draw so that gives us a little extra comfort but it, it could be that one of our other two opponents also picked up a spade draw and it's better than ours so i think it's almost like the uh, hey take the apple why don't you have an apple? Have an apple. It's a poison <laughs> apple, right? Um, so I, I'm really cautious about getting excited about that Deuce of Spades is back up here. Um, particularly because now we, we've taken the lead, which is nice. Uh, so the lead, lead in the hand is now ours. So there is a case to be made that we should continue the pressure here. Because um, it's kind of weird now to all of a sudden check. Now... Um, but we're not in position, so we really are in a really weird spot now. It's weird. It's 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 awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and we've put so much in this pot now, I don't think I'm willing to wave the white flag here. And I think if you check now, that's probably what's going to happen, isn't it? They're going to bet a bunch, and you're going to be put to another test for more money. here's the thing. Is the guy right behind us was the pre-flop aggressor, right? Right. So he didn't raise us on the flop. But if we check now, that's almost like inviting him to bet, right? Yeah. And the pot's 150 now, so now that's going to be a pretty significant bet for us just to call. So, you know, this is a damned if we do, damned if we don't, I think. And how do we avoid this again? Oh, yeah, we don't play Jack-9 out of position. (laughs) (laughs) For for a $15 raise. For a $15 raise on top of it, yeah. So yeah, I think we almost set ourselves up to have to bet here, and that's that's rough for me. Um, so yeah, if you go back and you you dismiss my whole mirage poison apple thing about the spade, then now you feel more confident with that. So maybe I just need to put my faith in the fact that that really is not a mirage; that's actually cool, crisp water that I'm walking towards. <laughs> and you know, put a seventy-five dollar bet in here and hope to take it down. Um, or if we get called and hope to improve or hope to win with my nine some weird way, I don't know. Um, but I certainly am not excited about the fact that now I'm up to 120 bucks in this pot with Jack nine. <laughs> yeah. If I do that. Yeah. So if we check, there's only two other people in the hand. If the guy who raised pre-flop, is he last to act? I think so. Um think so so we check the other guy checks it goes to him and he bets like 30 or 50 or something maybe you think about calling because you got well, the first row yeah, yeah. but that's that's like a fifth of the pot so i don't know if that's right there's also a possibility that it'll get checked around and that's actually not bad because right. now we can do battle on the river with the extra information of whatever card comes um whew. yeah i just don't like the spot at all no me neither um, all right, uh, so here it says, I start to contemplate what my move is going to be. I start to get this really strange feeling. Does it have to do with the fact that you had Jack-9 in here? <laughs> Jack might be in the middle of the movie. Uh, there's a moment when you're riding a bike right before you lay it down. As you start to come off the seat and the whole world goes quiet, time slows to a crawl. You feel yourself become weightless. It's that split second of time that feels like an eternity. And in that exact moment, you know absolutely everything. You know exactly where uh, where you are. You know where you're going. You know what's going to happen when you get there. There's not one thing you can do about it. It's the same out-of-control helplessness that comes over me now. It's not a bike ride. It's tilt. 
The frustration of playing so horrible in the tournament, running pocket queens and the po- and the aces not once but twice. Um, and now I'm playing jack nine out of position in a pot I've bloated without a plan or even a way to escape. It's been here this whole time, ninja tilt. It tricked me into thinking I was cool as a cucumber, uh, <clears throat> but I was just playing dead, waiting for the opportunity to jump up and latch onto me. And I'm trapped like a rat. <laughs> Is he writing Pulp Fiction here? What is going on? <laughs> wow. Part of my brain, the only sane part of uh, uh, me that's left is screaming to check. Check and let's just see what everyone else does. No harm, no foul. Check and eject if, if anyone bets. No big deal. Easy peasy. But as we just established, that part of me is in the passenger seat just along for the ride. Nope, it's the part of me that's running the show that thinks I just picked up a flush draw and that is <laughs> another undercard to my nine. Certainly couldn't have helped anyone. Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. I cut out of a bet of 110 and push it forward. Oh, man. Hey, well, you know, what's it, in, in for a penny, in for a <laughs> pound of flesh? <laughs> for a dollar, whatever the stupid sayings are. You know, you know, if we're all in this, we might as well be all in this, right? Unreal. Um, Arias says, apparently it was a pretty strong bet. The original pre-flop razor goes into the tank. Watch him shaking his head and looking back at his cards. The rational part of me is looking on like a spectator now, just trying to figure out what he's got. And it came up with jacks or queens. Then I tossed out jacks because I've got a jack, so it's harder, uh, a harder hand for him to have. Tens or queens, I decide. If he's got clubs, the only clubs I think that makes sense are ace-king of clubs. I think this would make sense. He has an over pair or overs and the flush draws, so he makes the call on the flop, and now I'm pushing on him hard. Just go away. I'm representing a set of fours, maybe eight, nine. I'm not saying that was my plan when I made the bet. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I don't think I had a conscious plan at all at the time. I completely lost my mind. I'm just trying to decide what my bet could look like. Eventually, he calls, and the other guy folds. 370 in the pot, and the river is the king of clubs. Ugh. <laughs> uh, so our final board is eight of clubs, nine of clubs, tray of spades, deuce of spades, king of clubs, and uh, let's see. I think it's on us. Oh man! All right, wait. Can you tell me again how much is in the pot? One hundred and ten yeah. to two twenty, and then three twenty, three seventy. It was one fifty before the last. Yeah, so or two twenty. So yeah, so three seventy. And how much do we have? Uh, well, we started the hand at four fifty, so so we've bet one ten and thirty uh, is one forty. Oh man! And of course, the overcard comes, um, and the flush draw gets there. Yeah. I'm, oh man! <laughs> I mean, uh, what do you do if you shove? He's got it. You're only get called by a better hand if he's got a even if he's got a king or aces or he's got the clubs. He's going to call you. So if you check, he's going to bet, and then you're going to be put to it. I, I would rather see what kind of amount he wants to bet to try to bluff at us if he doesn't have it, if we're willing to call a bluff maker. But uh, I, I, I don't see this happening, man. I don't know what's going on here. I, I'm going to I'm gonna check. This is scary to me. Everything got there. Uh, an overcar got there. A club's got there. And he can still have a pair bigger than our nines anyway. Yeah, we're we're in a whole world of hurt right now here because oh, man. I really think the only way we can win this pot is by betting. Um, it's possible that we still have the best hand for some weird weird thing, but I, I doubt it seriously now. So if we check, we're essentially giving up on 
what, 150 bucks or so that we put in this pot. Yeah. Um, but if we shove and he's got any part, I mean, I guess maybe shoving, if he's got any part, he's not going to call, right? He's going to have to have something significant here. But he's been in this all the way. I mean, he obviously was on the turn on the fence, right? Kept looking at his cards. So he had to have hope of something coming, right? I think so. It feels like it. And it seems like the clubs make sense. I don't think just that uh, naked ace king is going to be calling that 110 with this whole thing, no, right? No, no. So it seems like the clubs are the only thing. The clubs are the straight draw. I'm sorry. It could be a straight draw, too. could have been like what jack 10 or something, right? Flop was 8-9, right? So he raises preflop with jack 10 after a couple of limpers. Yeah, I guess so. And then uh, calls our $30 bet. and But then he calls 110 that's one card to calm. I don't know. Oh, it's a tough hand, man. Yeah, I think I think at that point it's really tough for you to make that call unless you have clubs as well. And if you have clubs, then you got there, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's hard for you to put us on clubs since we've been pushing the action the entire way, right? Yep. Um. So yeah, if you think about it that way, I. I it, it almost it's almost hard for me to imagine a hand where he doesn't have the flush here yeah I gotta check I'm and, check and folding it's no <laughs> holding any flush here I mean he has to really put us on playing this hand very odd to think that his flush isn't good yeah I, I can't make any I can't you put a defensive bet out there what's it gonna look like if you just bet you just bet 110 if you put a defensive bet out there of less than 110, they're going to be like, what? Well, I mean, I guess here's the thing. is If we were wrong in this, if they don't have the clubs, if there's some just some other weird thing this guy's playing, or maybe you just thought we were full of it the entire way and wanted to keep us honest, um, it is possible for us to make a bet that's not an all-in bet here that could get them to fold. Yeah. <sighs> Maybe that's the scenario now. Maybe maybe it's not an all or nothing. Maybe it's uh, we played 110 last time. How about another 110? That would still leave us with a 140. We bought in for 300. So yeah, I don't I don't like to think about that stuff. The part about what I bought in right. for, if I'm going to lose or so win. Put in 100 and he just calls. That's better than us checking and him shoving. Um, it's better than us shoving if our hand is better. Well, maybe or, or worse. Worse. Yeah. yeah. So, do you think a shove is the only move the guy would make if you checked here? I mean, if he's no, got no. the flush, he might value about 110 too, which is what you're considering well, here. That's true too. But, um, but if we make that bet, we have an option of getting him to fold if it's if he doesn't have the flush. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, I know they would have called the clock on me and you already, so <laughs> um, I don't know what to say. I, I really feel like I, I, I have nines. And, hope. and I, I don't know what I do necessarily if the guy shoves on us because it's another 147 at that point. But if he shoves, I, I, you know, he has to be making... I can't imagine him shoving in the bluff. Right, exactly. So, so I think at that point I just I sacrifice and, and then remind myself not to get into the situation ever again. Okay, so I'm just going to... I think I got a bet here. I can't just check and. I'm going to step back for a minute. I don't know how much this guy has either. 
Um, yeah, let me kind of read ahead, see if I can find it. And if you only had 110. Yeah, he said what the the other player that's out of the hand had at the beginning, but didn't say. Yeah. So you know what I mean? We don't even know what he has. If if we're assuming he has the same stack as us, then we have to think about what we're going to bet. If he's got like 100 left, then it's like, check. Because if he bets the 100, you're going to bet 100 anyway, but you can get away for saving 100. So right, right, it right. really depends. Yeah. Um, so depending on the stack, I would make... I would make the perfect move knowing his stack size. But since I don't, <laughs> you can't take me to task for what I'm about to say. Um, but I'm thinking check. Because if I bet 110 and he's got 300 in front of him, then he comes over the top, I've wasted 110. If I check, I don't think he's going to bet 310. I think he's going to bet something that's comparable to the 110 I was just considering putting out there. And then if I think it's worth it because I was going to bet it anyway, then I call it and say, okay, I saved it. But if I... I bet 110, he comes over the top. Now I still don't have any information, and I've lost 110 because I'm probably going to fold. But if I just check and he bets 110, I'm getting to to see his cards and maybe still show down a winner because he might be bluffing at the 110. So I'm going to check call if it's a reasonable bet. All right. All right, Hurses, that's an interesting card. I'm not rational at this point, but I think that the king of clubs means he's not on clubs. I also think that the king didn't help him unless he was holding king-king, and while kings and aces make... Since pre-flop, wouldn't he have raised on the flop? I really think he has tens or queens here. Tens pre, and then getting the eight nine on the flop, giving backdoor straight. If he had the ten of clubs, there are backdoor flushouts as well as an overpair to the board. While queens doesn't connect as well to flop, it's a stronger hand. It could be a hand you would call the turn bet with. Does he have a set? I don't think so. I think a raise at some point would have come if he did. As I see it, I have two options: all in or check fold. All in at this point for me is 257. The pod is 370-ish. Check fold and I'm down to f- down 40 for the session. And then the stupid part of my brain asks the rational part. Hey, if you've had an overpair here, would you call 250 to win 625? I don't know what I'd do. I think I'd fold. I could fold jacks or queens. I just convinced myself uh, my opponent had a set. I don't know if I just didn't want to lose the hand, if I really thought it made sense or what, but I announced all in. My opponent starts looking at his hand at the board at me and starts mumbling, What do you have? And so weird and doesn't make any sense. About the fourth time he went through that list of questions, I started to think, Hey, I might get him to fold. (laughs) And I don't know if I gave something away, but right after that thought went through my head, he tossed in a chip. I say, You're good and flip over my hand uh, because he's got tens or better. He looks at my hand and says, I knew you didn't have anything. I just nod and grin sheepishly. I know I screwed this hand up. Might as well grin and bear it. And he says, I knew you were weak. You were only betting to try to win. I knew it. You had to bet to try to win. I had you. On an ace of clubs, tray of spades, nine of clubs, deuce of spades, king of clubs board, he called my all-in with nine of diamonds, seven of diamonds. Oh, jeez. He rebought for 200, quickly lost 50, and for the next 30 minutes, I just listened to him muttering about how badly I played my hand, how I had nothing. He knew exactly where I was the whole time. He finally lost another hundred scattered around several other players before getting up and leaving. Maybe it was like in the Stephen King story, Thinner, and I passed on my tilt demon to him because after that hand I settled down and played pretty decent and caught a ton more cards. Flopped two boats, River Quadza, one of them, one straight on the last hand I had played. I had pocket queens random. And the bases once again, I played the hand very slowly, so when a river said I won a $50 pot. I picked up my, packed up my stuff and headed off to the room. Wow. All in all, I left Pearl River up almost 800 for the weekend, counting tournament entries, food and gas, etc. Not great, but could have been a lot worse. See, kids, going on tilt does pay off. <laughs> Especially at Pearl River Resort. <laughs> Where Scott is right now. Go there quickly before the money's gone. 
Uh, I don't really have anything to say about that. I think the guy played his hand terribly. Um, I think we played our hand pretty poorly, too. I, I don't feel like those were good moves the whole yeah, way. I mean, I guess I could see got lucky. analysis that we were we didn't have anything. But you have to have something to beat nothing, right? Yeah. So really the only effective nothing, I think, that could be here would be a nine. That's the only thing that makes sense, I think. So now you've got to put him on a hand less than 9-7, and two of those don't count because they would be two pair hands, the deuce and the tray, right? Yeah. So now you've got to put your opponent on uh, 9-6, 9-5, or 9-4 for that to work. Yep. Or or a missed straight draw, maybe a Jack well, Ten. But yeah. but yeah, but you're saying it if a complete nothing would be Jack Ten could also have been at seven that's seven six. But but yeah. But still it's such a narrow range to make that huge call with just one pair, and it's not even top pair anymore. And he had a terrible kicker, and he was the one who raised with that crappy hand. So and then kept calling bets because he made top top pair with crappy kicker, you know. Well, and that's an interesting point. Let's go back to the beginning of the hand where Jason told us that this is a limp fest, right? Yeah. And we asked about, you know, hey, would we raise a jack nine? And my point was, why would I run raise in a at a table where we're going to get seven callers with a hand that can flop big or I can get away with, right? Yeah. So our opponent had essentially the same hand. So why, what's he doing raising there? Why not just glimp along and hope you, you flop big? And he had even less uh, a reason to stick around after he got his crappy top pair. You know, when people are betting big into you, well, not big, or at least appropriately into you, and you have a middling top pair and with no kicker, I mean, why are you sticking around? I mean, obviously this guy's got something that... If he's, he's, he has, it's very difficult to bluff out of position multiple opponents because that's what we had for a little while here. Yeah. Why yeah. would he think we're bluffing? And, and, and it's not that we weren't bluffing because we were kind of bluffing because we didn't have a great hand, but we still had top pair with a eh, kicker. But what's this guy thinking? Why is he thinking 9-7's good? It's just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. Hey, Jason, uh, very good on you that you, you won that hand, but uh, I think we showed that you might not want to do that again. <laughs> I think he knows that. <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.